This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Daytona's, Daytona's Kitchen and Creative Catering. Yes, 965, a Cobalt Crescent, that's where they are. You know that place, Daytona's, Daytona's, 622-2169, call now, place your order. They do it, they are there for you. Yes, they are. And... I want to tell you about Takeaway Thursdays. Yes, Takeaway Heat Yourself Meals. This week, beef on a bun. Two buns per person with all the condiments you need. Onion rings, potato salad. It's $35 for two people, 65 for four people. But you missed it. Yes, you did. Because you need to be on social media and follow it and see it. Takeaway Thursdays, pre-order by Wednesday at 12, noon that is. You gotta check it out. Or on Instagram, they post pictures of their food. It's so delicious. And who doesn't want a beef on a bun? Mmm, with onion rings and potato salad. This sounds so good. I want that right now. Also, now that you missed that and you're gonna check it out next week, what you cannot miss is this Saturday we are going to have at Daytona's, Daytona's, Kitchen and Creative Catering. Saturday is steak night. Yes, 5 p.m. from 9 p.m. You have a choice of a top sirloin or a strip loin, fries or twice baked potato, third mushroom caps and house steak sauce. That's $22 per order from 5 p.m. till 9 p.m. Ooh, Saturday night is steak night at Daytona's. That's 622-2169. Call now. Place your order. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by no other than Brent Hackberg, your RBC Royal Bank of Canada mortgage specialist. Yes, Brent Hackberg is back tonight. 251-7251. You call him now. He is available 24-7. Do you remember that time when you found that house? You wanted it so much. You liked it. You saw the kitchen. Maybe you saw the garage. And you were like, yes, that's what I want right now. But you were not pre-approved. Oh, what? Really? You should call Brent right now. 251-7251. Brent Hackberg, your RBC Royal Bank of Canada mortgage specialist. He specializes in first-time home buyers. Moving your mortgage over to the RBC. Maybe he's going to secure you a better interest rate. Yes, he does that. Or maybe you need help with an investment property. Brent Hackberg has been over 10 years serving superior customer service to all his clients. He puts his clients first. And you don't want to be in a situation where you're going to lose that house. It's just going to go. The market is hot right now. Yes, it is. Interest rates are super low. And Brent Hackberg... He wants you to succeed. He wants to be part of your journey to home ownership. He wants to give you advice and solutions. Very personalized to you, for you. 
And he is going to be your man. Brand Hackberg. Yes. RBC Royal Bank of Canada mortgage specialist. 2517251. Follow him on social media. He is amazing. Find him on Facebook. Find him on Instagram. And call him right now. 2517251. This is the Michael Aided Show, episode 69. Today, we have the one and only very special guest on the show. It's Bill Morrow. Please, ladies and gentlemen, give it up. And we are live. Bill, how are you doing today? Well, good morning, Michael. I'm I'm doing very well. Thanks, thanks for having me on your on your show. How about you? How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm I'm excited. I'm really I'm I'm honored that you're here today. I I you know we talked a little bit earlier last year a little bit, and I just like I really wanted you on the show because I admire what you do for the city and your experience that you bring to the table. And now here you are, and I can talk to you. Thank you. Well, thanks, Michael. I, again, thanks for having me. I'm I'm uh, pleased to do it with you today. Mm, okay. Are you are you good with the cold today? Is there something you like? Well, you know what? I uh, as I'm getting older, I'm I'm just accepting it. Uh, I prefer warm weather, but I think the winter generally has been so easy mm. this year. You know, we're we're now in about the fourth or fifth day of some cold. We expected we'd get some a few more days, but all in all, it's been such a mild winter, and thankfully so. Uh, you know, with the COVID-19 situation and people not having many options in terms of being able to recreate or, you know, go to work, that sort of thing. At least uh, for the most part of the winter, they've been able to get outside and go for a walk or snowshoe or ski cross country, something. Mm-hmm. So thankful for a mild winter. Yes. Same here. We can tough it up for one week, right? That's what we do. <laughs> If that's all it takes, we'll, we'll sign up for that at any time. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So, Bill, Budget just passed, you know, we had the lowest increase since a decade, correct me if I'm mistaken, but like from your perspective, is how did it go? Are you satisfied? Well, yeah, I, I think overall I am satisfied, Michael. I hope that the community, you know, recognizes the number we've brought in. Certainly with the COVID-19 situation and the economic situation, I think there was a lot of anxiety and concern in the community. Uh, when it came to taxation. We really did set the table for this back in July. Most of the work, in my opinion, was done six or seven months ago when we directed administration through resolution to only bring in a budget book that started at 2%. For me, that was a very clear signal to the community seven or eight months ago that we were taking this seriously. We were going to do our best to keep taxation as low as possible. And so we started at 2% which I believe led to a more efficient process. We weren't casting about uh, for long periods of time trying to find more savings because most of them had been achieved through mm-hmm. the resolution we passed back in July. Yeah, It's the third consecutive increase that we've brought in. Uh, and I think, though, historically, Michael, people, if they look back on the three increases that this council has brought in, I think we've done some pretty good work. And there's a couple of things as well. There, there are increasing costs contained in that budget that we can't control. You know, for example, we're spending $1 million more this year for the city's insurance policy, mm-hmm. something we can't control. 
um, WSIB costs have increased dramatically. Mm -hmm. We can't control that. So we have this situation where you've got these increasing costs, and yet we've still managed to keep it at 1.6. As well, in 2020, Michael, we had a very low growth year in the city, Mm. largely related to the pandemic, which means we did not have a lot of new taxation revenue that we could apply against that tax increase, which was the case in the previous years, if you go back eight or 10 years. And so those two things, in fact, I think make what we've achieved even a little better. So yeah, I hope the community recognizes we've done the best that we can do. And um, it's a good place for us to be in 2021. The other half of this, if I can, um, I would say, in addition to that 2% resolution, we also said through a motion that I moved to administration, you cannot use reserve fund money to achieve that 2% budget book starting point. Okay. And what that did for us is that we know as a council, we have an operating deficit projection related to COVID-19 in 2021 that is significant. Mm. But by not allowing administration to use those reserve funds to achieve that 2% budget pressure, council now has all of that reserve fund money available to us to manage that operating deficit for 2021. Mm. So again, to the community, I hope they recognize what we've done. There's a strong signal there that we're well positioned for this year to manage things. There's still some concern going forward into 2022. Uh, But all in all, I think we've managed to put the corporation in a pretty good place when it comes to taxation. This sounds good to me. I mean, this budget with the pandemic and everything is a once in a lifetime, right? Nobody ever has gone through this before, maybe 100 years ago, but not like this. Well, for sure. It's it's a very different situation. Um, It's made us all look very hard at, you know, what it is that we do on behalf of the corporation. We've reached out, you know, part of the work that I'm involved in is uh, there are municipal associations from the province of Ontario that continues to advocate to the federal and provincial governments for assistance for municipalities. Yes. Uh, Municipalities are not allowed to run operating deficits. It's illegal. Uh And so the Ontario big city mayors is one of the groups that I'm part of. And we did a lot of good work through that organization going back over the last year to year and a half. Uh, where we worked with the province and the federal government to get some assistance that has really helped us as a municipality uh, and all municipalities across the country, including Ontario, to, to get our budgets in a good place. Uh, mm-hmm. It would have been a much more difficult uh, situation to try and achieve without the assistance of the federal and provincial governments. That's right. You, we got some money from the federal government, right, for the COVID situation? Yeah, federal, provincial. I think out of the, the assistance we received, I think about 70% was federal and about 30% was provincial. Mm-hmm. They called it the safe restart money. And, and of course, that was, you know, that came directly from the work that the Ontario big city mayors did, as well as other organizations uh, who were lobbying the provincial and federal governments on the, on the same issue. I, I would say as well, we have already begun that work again this year in 2021. We are going back at the federal provincial governments asking for further assistance uh, for 2021 year. Yes. Uh, hopefully they called it safe restart money. Uh, we're looking to get that enhanced again for 2021. As I mentioned previously, we have an operating deficit projection for 2021 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in a position to manage that with the reserve funds that we've set aside. Uh, but having said that all municipalities in Ontario and across the country will still be looking 
hopefully for some further assistance from the federal and provincial governments, appreciating that they have a revenue revenues that are available to them, obviously that municipalities do not. And so that's why they're looked to in situations like this to help out municipalities. Thank you, Bill. The How is that for you, you know? The pandemic started last year in March, and for me, I, you know, I have a job, I work, and then I have a family, and I look after my family. Right? There's priorities. But for you, you are also running the city. You are you are the mayor of the city. That's such a big responsibility put on your plate, and then you have to balance looking after your family, which I don't want to talk about, but also you also you have always a city on your shoulders. It's all there. And then there's a pandemic happening. And I have to say, Bill, you for what it is and how we didn't know anything about it when it first happened, I'm very amazed how the city handled the situation. You know, we got to know it. We got we did our things that we needed to do and you were there with Norm and the whole team, the city of Thunder Bay made what they had to do. How how do you deal with this pressure and how how did this all happen to you? Well, you know, the pandemic situation is an interesting it's interesting. Yeah. It it certainly to your point, Michael, has dominated You know, the last year, I would say now we're into 13, 14th month mm. where it really has been the, the central theme and, and dominated the work that certainly my office and, and the corporation has been seized with this as well. You know, for me, it began in January of 2020. I, you know, I was tracking mm. the, the media around what was going on with with COVID-19. It was all new. We were all learning at the same time. But I... I thought, my goodness, what's what's going on here? And so in January of 2020, I, I was just driving by uh, the medical officer of health, uh, the public health unit, and, and I just thought, I need to I need to go and talk to Dr. DeMille about this. So I pulled in and it was towards the end of January, uh, about 13 or 14 months ago, that, that I just paid her an unannounced visit mm. and, and just wanted to talk with her about it, trying to understand and get an appreciation for what it was that the city would need to do Uh, to be prepared as as best we can or could uh, for what we thought at that time might yeah. be occurring uh, with the COVID-19 virus as it was beginning to spread around the province. So I had that first discussion with her at end of January 2020. It was, you know, it was a it was informative for me. And I thought, well, I need to bring, you know, our senior management team there as well. So within a few days or a week after that initial meeting, Uh, I had a number of our executive management team uh, and emergency management team from the city of Thunder Bay. I brought them back to a second meeting with Dr. DeMille at the public health unit within about a week or so. Oh, wow. So, so we were very early on engaged uh, in trying to do what we what we could to prepare as best we were able, of course, not knowing for sure what this all meant. Mm -hmm. And then it began a process where the city started to do its work. Um, we had some difficult conversations. I can tell you there was... Some very difficult conversations related to our long-term care homes, the ones in Thunder Bay that the city operates, and and where I thought very strongly we needed to close our long-term care homes because it was becoming obvious and apparent that this virus was more dangerous for the senior population. And in fact, yes, you know we we made that decision. It was not one that everybody agreed with. I will I will say, but it was one that I felt very strongly about, and that we managed to achieve even before the province had made any announcements or declared an emergency. So to your point, you know, we got involved early 
and um, and I think it's helped us to prepare as well. Our geographic isolation obviously played into our favor in terms of the isolate or the the virus not arriving in Thunder Bay as quickly as it did into other areas, especially those with international airports. Mm. Uh, but but we were on it early. We did our work early, and um, and I think we've continued to do a good job in, in combination with the public health unit and Dr. DeMille and, and so many others that are working at, at trying to keep the community safe. Yes. Thank you for that. The, it seems like then pressure for you um, makes you, like you've been very proactive of this then. So it's like you, 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 you drive of this, right? This is who you are. You've been in politics since 2003 there with the federal government, right, running And it's just like you have so much experience. Every single time I have a council member on the podcast, they speak so highly of your experience. Mm. It's, uh, and, and that's a fact. They just say that. And uh, that's, you are there, you are part of the team, and you bring the experience to the table. Is it, so is this easy for you then, the, the pressure, or do you feel it? Well, that's interesting. It's, it's a great question. Um, I mean, generally, it, it's been now, I guess I'm in my 23rd or 24th year of doing this. I don't, I don't, I, I started in 1997 on city council and, okay. and served two terms, uh, 97 to 2000 and then 2000 to 2003 and then 15 years provincially. So 21, I guess it's 23 years completed, Very maybe nice. in my 24th year. I, I, it's, I would say, Michael, you know, it's all, it's been consuming. Um, I don't know if I would describe it as pressure. But it's certainly been consuming in terms of your time and your energy and hoping that you're making the right decisions on behalf of your community. But I, I really do believe that the 15 years provincially, you know, that experience has really helped me as, as I've gone through the situation. Certainly provincially, you're dealing with big items on a daily basis. You're dealing with massive budgets and massive budget decisions on a big item. You have a large staff when you're a cabinet minister provincially. And so I think perhaps some of this just perhaps became a little more, I don't, natural. I don't want to underscore the importance of this work, but you see an issue, you see a problem, and you, you just begin to do what you can and what you think is right. You know, sometimes it's led to some difficult discussions. I know that people always haven't been happy with, with my approach um, or necessarily the decisions that I've made. Uh, and that is just part and parcel of being in politics. When you make a decision, obviously there will be someone who's not satisfied, but I just tend to see the issue and I, and I just, I get involved and do what I think is best and, and try and consult with others. I think sometimes people might feel I don't consult enough. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you can be, you know, there's this thing called paralysis by analysis as well. And, and I think there's a point at which, look, you just need to decide You need to be respectful of people, but at the end of the day, if if there's some some hard feelings around the decisions, it's just part and parcel of the work that you do. You just try and be respectful, make your decisions, and move forward. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, thank you. I think the experience has helped me in that regard, um, and and I feel at this point that the city we've we've managed this both from the financial perspective, but also the health perspective. Again, with the medical officer of health and her team, I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Mm -hmm. Yes, we. We, I would say we are lucky, but this means I don't see everything that's going on behind the scene, right? We've, we've been doing, everybody is doing their possibly best all the time. Yeah. How, yeah. 
how easy is it for you to declare an emergency? Oh, it's not easy at all. I, uh, we, we've done two. I did not want to do either one. Um, the first one that we did, uh, and I forget when we announced that, mm. um, I resisted uh, that declaration. You're always a bit worried about what message you're sending to the community when, when you do that. The first one, Michael, I was asked to do it a significant period of time before I finally did it. Okay. Re refused to do it, did not want to do it. Ultimately, the reason I did on the first one um, was because the province brought forward uh, some regulations and policies that simply said, as a result of the pandemic, as a municipality, you might find yourself in the situation where you have staffing shortages in certain areas of your operation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to be able to move people around within your corporation who work for the city of Thunder Bay, and if you want to be able to circumvent your union collective bargaining agreements to move those people around, you, Mr. Mayor, and all other mayors in the province, you have to declare an emergency before you can do that. So I checked in with a number of people before I made that decision. I spent the weekend talking to a lot of the union leadership in Thunder Bay to make sure they understood why I was about to do what I was going to do. For example, you take our long-term care homes. If you had an outbreak in a long-term care home, the one run by the city of Thunder Bay that affected your staffing, how do you care for the residents if people are calling in sick and they can't go to work? Yeah. And you don't want them to go to work if they're COVID positive. How do you manage that situation? So you have to be prepared to be able to move people into that care setting. And the province required us to declare the emergency before we would have the capacity to move people around. Mm -hmm. So the union leadership was very understanding. They were very good. I, I, I think at least five or six calls, I believe I reached just about everybody, perhaps not. Very nice. But they were very accommodating. They understood. And there's not been one single issue related to that decision. So that's the reason I declared the first one. Um, and I, again, I forget how many months ago that was. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now we are driving the numbers down and we are looking to do what we have to do again. And, you know, we, I find for the greater good, we have to do what we have to do. And it comes down to that, right? And that's what we do. So I appreciate you explaining that to me. Um, when you I, I would mention, Michael, on that point, though, the, the, the declaration of an emergency does provide you with a couple of other benefits besides the one that I just mentioned. For example, you know, you can circumvent your regular procurement bylaws. So the way you go out and buy goods and services, there are rules in place as a city that you have to follow when, when you want to buy services. So, exi for example, if we needed $100,000 of personal protective equipment for our staff at the long-term care home or for our transit operators, whoever it may have been. In normal situations, you have to go through a tendering process when you have a dollar value that's at a certain level. Yeah. Um, the declaration of emergency allows you to circumvent that decision. So that's one benefit of doing it. I, we could just say, okay, we need this stuff. We're picking up the phone and we're buying it from the person who can first get it to us. That's one advantage. Another one is is that you can, where there might be volunteers involved in some of the work that you do, it would provide you some liability as a corporation uh, against being sued on a volunteer basis. So there, there's a couple of other things that, that play into that as well. Yeah, there's benefits to it as for the city, right? Correct. Yes. That's right. It, you, you, it's easier to react faster. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And that's that's really important in this matter. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you the flexibility to get the powers where you need them right now. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Thank you for highlighting this. When you you ran for mayor, right? Obviously, <laughs> we all know this. Yes. <laughs> now, what made you decide to do that? Hmm. Well, I didn't really decide quickly. So um, after the provincial election in June, I guess it was, of 2018, I, you know, I really wasn't sure that, that I wanted to do it. Uh, I had a few, few family members that were actually, you know, encouraging me to, to consider it a, and a few others, a non-family related that were asking me to run or, okay. or if I was interested in running. But I, I really didn't make up my mind. We were, we were a little fortunate. It would have been my fault. I, I waited very late in the game till I decided we did not put a big campaign team together. Basically, there was three or four of us who did the work. And we really didn't start doing anything relating to the municipal campaign until after Labor Day in September. Mm. And so that left, left us a pretty short window to get out there and be involved in a municipal campaign. Um, yeah, so I really wasn't completely certain. But, um, you know, I, I thought, well, okay, um, you know, I'm, I'm living here. I, I still very much enjoy the cut and thrust of, of politics. Um, I would say, though, I have found the municipal experience very different than than my 15 years provincially and and nothing uh, like i remember from my first six years in 97 to 2003 and so it was a decision that, that i made late uh but it's turned out well mm -hmm. and uh, thankful for it and enjoying the experience beautiful what, what do you think has changed changed with the um like what is the difference between the municipal and the provincial what do you see well, it's not a change. It's something that's fundamental between the two orders of government. Certainly, you know, at the provincial level, it's party politics. Okay. And so you're a liberal, you're a conservative, you're an NDP, you're a Green Party member. You know, it's very different that way. When municipally, when I was on council from 1997 to 2003, one of the advantages of being a municipal councillor in my opinion, from my experience, and even with the two years now as mayor, is that there there is no team sport here, or at least it's my belief that there should not be mm. a team sport, where one of the beautiful things about municipal politics is that you're an individual. Ah. You do not suffer or have, suffer maybe not the right word, but there should be no constraints in terms of your viewpoints, your opinions, what you bring to the table as an individual member of city council. That's of course not always the case provincially or federally when you're a member of a political party. You know, I did that for 15 years. There were certainly times when there were other things that I would want to say that you were sometimes constrained, mm -hmm. but you're a member of a party and you understand that going in. I'm not complaining about that. Yes. But you know, the, the big distinction is that is that you hope that, with 13 of us around the table municipally, that everybody views whatever the issue is, you think it through, you do your research, you do your homework, you make your decision, and you bring that forward to the table as an individual. You're not part of a team. And, and I think for me, um, that's one of the beautiful things about municipal politics, and you hope that is the approach that people bring to the table. Mm. Yes. 
You, how do you feel about council right now? I mean, like we have a couple of younger members there. You know, they we have a good. It seems like there's a good balance of experience, but also um, new drive. It's a very good team right now. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree that I think that some people have been critical of the group. Uh, where are we? We're in the, the second week of February now, and and some people have seen are, are representing the group as being a split council or a divided council. Mm. Quite frankly, I don't know what they mean when they say that. If if uh, if people think that we're all supposed to all vote the same way all the time, I think you'd see some significant criticism. If that was the case, where you know everything's always twelve one or thirteen zero. I think then you would see some some criticisms um, yes. of, of council if in fact that was the case, and so uh, I don't see it that way at all. There, there's going to be friction, you know, between between councillors from time to time, and there's going to be, or is going to be, and I I would say there should be sometimes some friction between council and administration. Nobody's looking to argue or fight, or or not get along, but there is a very distinct difference between the council work and the administrative work. And so within council and between council administration, the fact that there is some friction in the community or perceived to be by the community, I would suggest that's part and parcel of the work that you do. It shouldn't come as a surprise as long as it is respectful mm. discourse and, and respectful work. Um, then I think that that should come as no surprise to anybody. Yes. Do you think, um, The council member officially it's a part-time um, engagement, right? In a way, but it, there's a lot of hours involved and a lot of work, really. And I don't know if maybe it's the wrong question. If you don't want to answer that, that's fine. But do you think like b bigger cities sometimes they have a full-time council, right? Do you think this should be something the city of Thunder Bay should look at? You know, Michael, this this is a really really great question that you ask. Um, And, and, you know, I do believe that the composition of municipal councils is a very, very important discussion point and is something that, that should be reconsidered. I think we're now two years plus uh, into the term of this council. The, probably the single biggest disappointment that I have to this point is the fact that we did not move forward with a resolution to go out to consult with the community and to put something potentially on the ballot, a different method of electing council on the ballot in 2022. We were, it was my impression, going to be doing exactly that. And, and for whatever reason, some good reasons, you know, the process was delayed. And when it finally came back to the floor of council, it was, it was defeated that we weren't going to go forward with it. And mm. part of the argument was that, You know, it was the wrong time, COVID, too busy, can't consult. And this decision has now been punted for six years or four, four or five years to 2026 before anything can possibly change. To your Specifically to your question, you know, I don't know what the exact right model is. There is no perfect model. Mm -hmm. There is no perfect solution. A lot of people love the ward system. A lot of people love at large. A lot of people like what Thunder Bay has as a hybrid system. So I'm not pretending that there's a perfect answer to this, but I would say a couple of things I, that I believe. Mm -hmm. One, I do believe 13 is too many. Okay. And I do believe that the potential for full-time council would really make a big difference in terms of the governance of the city of Thunder Bay. So 
understanding and appreciating what that might mean at the same time is that if if council was to adopt you know that process to go full time there would be some some really good people who would not be able to run for council mm-hmm. i get that that would exclude them you know they have full time jobs and so i appreciate and respect that but at the same time i i really do believe after 23 years or whatever it's been that i've been doing this in my mind that a smaller full-time group really could have done some some big stuff in in terms of managing the corporation and you're right when you describe it as a as a part-time job some of these folks you know the other 12 i know they put in a lot of time and i do know they serve on a lot of committees and and some of them probably work what would be almost full-time hours so Mm -hmm. i'm not looking to denigrate the work that's done i'm simply simply trying to say the point that if if you had a full-time group and they all had offices somewhere within City Hall, and it was a smaller group, it, it really is my belief that there would be, it would just be a better, more efficient system of governance, uh, understanding, again, that there is no perfect system, um, and it all ultimately depends on the people that are elected. Yes, I agree. This is a really good answer, because it brings a lot of stuff to the table where, where we can think about. I like that. It's a yeah. really good perspective. Yeah, so... So again, disappointed that that's not moving forward. I, I really thought we were going to try and do some work on that. Ultimately, council make a decision on on how you wanted folks to be elected in 2022. I thought that was the goal, uh, but that one didn't end well for me. I, I think I think I might have been the only person that supported trying to move it forward this year for the 2022 ballot. Yeah, um, there might have been one or two others. I'm not sure. But no, that one just was resoundingly defeated by the group. And uh, for me, again, that's a disappointment. I really think there was an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Okay. As they say, Michael, one of my favorite lines is, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. point being, when you have a lot of folks around the table, it's a little bit more difficult to be efficient and to get things done. It is. Um, again, this isn't, I'm not looking to criticize anybody here. That That's just my belief that, that a bit leaner and full-time, mm-hmm. you can be more efficient, understanding that it's not a perfect answer either, that some good people would be then prohibited from running because they have full-time work. I respect that. Sure. But anyway, that, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. Were you, have you ever ridden a camel? Were you ever on top of a camel? <laughs> um, a metaphor for a lot of committees that I've been part of that <laughs> felt like I was riding a camel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My, 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 my grandfather was, uh, once visited the permits. So he, he showed me a picture once where he was on a camel, right? Okay. Because I've, yeah. I've, I've been horse riding, but never on a camel. No. And they go no, fast. I, I, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They, they go do. fast. Yeah. It's amazing. One hump and two hump. There's, two, there's at least two different kinds of camels, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 I don't know how, what it means, but an interesting well, hum- animal. I think, I think the hump is where they store the water, isn't it? I think you're right, yes. Yeah. Which is what allows them to just travel for long distances without drinking, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now let's talk about the. I want to thank you first again. Uh, the soccer complex. You know, I used to play soccer here in town when I was younger, and I think we when the dome collapsed, you know, it was a big hit to the community because it was not only soccer. There was so many sports that were done. And yeah. we as a city, we need to think where we're going to go. 
what we're going to do, how we project ourselves in the future. And I, from my perspective personally, thank you very much for putting that soccer complex on the list to be done. Thank you, Bill. And it's a big project. There's a lot of opinions out there, but uh, w tell me a little bit about this, how this all come together and w why do you think this is so happening right now? Well, you're right. It is a big project, Michael. And I think, you know, you've asked me previously about my experience. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's a file. Um, do you see value in the project? And for me, the answer was yes. Do, do you see value in terms of what it can mean for your community and how you distinguish yourself from other communities? Do you see value in terms of what it might do to keep young urban professionals and, yes. and others? Because people today make easy decisions on where they can live and work. The, the, you know, people are so portable today. More people with post-secondary degrees who can live and work anywhere they want. How do you sell your community? Mm -hmm. so, so for me, that was part of it. This was old work in some sense that previous councils had already identified mm -hmm. this project as a priority for them. And so this council came in and, and some work and some engagement had already been undertaken yes. uh, by the community. Some folks are now saying they love the project, uh, but it's not the right time. Mm. And they see COVID-19 as the reason that it's not the right time. Sure. We, we put up, I think it's fair to say, a financing plan in place that I've tried very hard to explain to the community how well, how well I feel we position the project, how we planned for it, and, and the, the minimal impact that it would have on you from a tax perspective. Yeah. How about a third or 25% or so of the cost is uh, federal uh, money and how some of it is municipal accommodation tax money. In other words, non-city related tax revenue money. Mm -hmm. Some debt, good, good, good reasons for, for using debt to finance large capital projects. I've made all of these arguments, but it's become such a hot, hot potato, you know, in the community. And I, it's, it's really a bit discouraging because I, it's really difficult to get a long answer out to people. Yes. And, you know, in, in politics, when you're explaining, they say you're losing. And this is something that requires a fair bit of explanation. There are still a lot of people who feel they support the project. They don't support it now. And when you ask them why, They, they rely on the fiscal situation of the city or the province or the country. Mm. You begin to try and explain it to them. It doesn't seem with many of them. It does resonate. They say, ah, I didn't know that. And, and they actually, they, they do come on board. But as a politician, you do realize that some of these issues, it takes you 20 or 30 minutes to get your explanation out. And no matter how many times we've debated this at council, mm -hmm. people still say to me, well, I didn't know that. Yes. So it's difficult to get your story out there. Now, having said that, where do we find ourselves? You know, the we will get a report um, on this within a month or so, Michael. Um, we'll see what the results of the tendering are. You know, somebody asked me about it six months or so ago, and they said, well, Billy, if it comes in way over budget, will you support it? And I say, no, not necessarily. Mm. You know, there there is a financial line at which you're unwilling to cross. An example that I could give you, would be when the tennis community came and they wanted the tennis club to be answered or added to the facility. Yeah. And the estimated cost was another $9 million. Mm -hmm. At that time, we expected the project to be 31. So now you're talking about a $40 million effort. Mm -hmm. In my mind, two things, you know, it, it simply 
at that price tag, it was not going to get approved by council. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, I'm not going to, one, the project will never fly at that number. You, you got to get seven votes. If you're going to have a hard time at 31 or 32, it will be impossible at 40. So strategically, I thought I can't support the tennis piece for that reason. And we found another method of trying to help the tennis club, um, you know, which I thought was important. But also for me, there's, there's a financial line at which I was willing not to go over to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see where it ends up. We, we will get this report in three weeks, four weeks, two weeks, something like that. And in council will ultimately make a decision on whether or not they're going to award the tender, depending on what this comes in at. So there's still at least one more one more hurdle to cross. Yes. If, if and again, as I said many months ago, if it's too expensive, I you know I'd certainly reconsider whether or not it's something I would support. Mm-hmm. That's a good explanation. And I, you know, I think explanations are actually good. And I, I explanation win because then we educate people, we show them what is actually really happening that's the good stuff that's yeah. where we like we understand well people are making a link to to this project and what it means for their taxes this year next year the following years i've you know we've, we've explained to them that there is basically there's a small hit and if the project was to be awarded there would be a very small hit michael for people in 2021 and a very small hit very small mm-hmm. in 2022 so what happens when you undertake this kind of a project the debt that we would be boring roughly, let's call it 50% of the project would be financed through debt. Yes. Comes from an, a provincial agency called Infrastructure Ontario. It's a very low interest rate debt. That money does not come onto our books until after the project is completed. Mm. Okay, so our debt, the debt cost to you as a taxpayer does not land on your tax bill for over two years till almost when the project is completed. Infrastructure Ontario will finance the cost of the construction while the facility is being built. Wow. The, esti- the estimated costs of that construction financing over two years is approximately $300,000. So when you spread that out across the city of Thunder Bay, your cost as a taxpayer for the first two years or so, mm-hmm. while it's being constructed is $300,000, mm-hmm. period, full stop. The full cost then hits your books as a taxpayer once the building's completed and, and almost ready to open. And that was going to be that $20 a year for the average or the median household in the city of Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. For somebody with a higher than median household assessed value, of course, it would be more than 20. We're not trying to mislead anybody here. You then get into the debate and the discussion about, well, why do you borrow? And there's good reasons to finance large capital projects through debenture debt. And that is, of course, because the future users, yes. people maybe who haven't even moved to the city yet, who will use that facility, mm-hmm. they'll pay for some of that cost. And just you right now, Michael and Bill and Jeff and everybody else who lives here now, why would you want to pay all of that cost right now in your taxes and not spread this cost over, especially in this low interest expense environment that we're in, where it's, you know, the, the money that they're that you're buying is very cheap money to buy. Yes. And so there's this good argument about the venture and debenturing large capital projects. Um, The last thing I would say, Michael, related to this project that people don't know is the city of Thunder Bay will have a large debt that previous councils took on 15, 20 years ago Mm. that will be retired in 2023. Okay. A $45 million debenture will be retired. Mm Mm-hmm. 
the annual principal and interest expense on that debt right now is $3.9 million. So what that means is when this debt is retired in 2023, the city of Thunder Bay all of a sudden has $3.9 million more million at their disposal that they can use for whatever they see fit to use it for. And it also means if you want to go out and borrow more money because your debt to servicing ratio has increased dramatically, you have that capacity as well. Mm -hmm. So there's these good arguments to be made for why you do large capital projects with the venture debt. Um, But again, you find yourself as a politician in the situation of trying to explain all of this to people who are really concerned in terms of what this means on the bottom line for them right now. End of the story uh, will be, as I said, in three or four weeks, we'll see what the, what the number comes in at and we'll make a decision as a group in terms of whether or not we award the tender. But I'm simply in a long winded way. I apologize trying to explain to you your, you know, your question and the situation and, and how we arrived at where we've arrived. Yes. Please don't apologize. This is perfect. I like it. And I, I, as like I'm 36, you know, we have a young family, we have a six-year-old, a one-year-old, you know, those things are, those things are important because, you know, winter is long here, you know, we want to have something where the kids can go. Yeah. We feel it. And the other thing, you know, the other argument we hear is the private sector, you know, but it's been, I don't know, five or six years uh, since the private sector uh, dome collapsed. You would expect that the private sector may have moved in by this point, if they intended to move in mm-hmm. uh, and do something. Certainly we were never in the way we approved the, we approved a rezoning application for a private sector applicant to, to move forward. That hasn't happened. Um, we did our research, you know, on domes and many of them, you know, they're, they're not nearly as efficient uh, from a heating perspective. Your operating costs are much higher Yes, and there's the risk of collapse, uh, not frequently, but, but it can happen as we've seen locally. So, um, you know, you, you hear a variety of arguments about why it's the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. We did not do anything to get in the way of the private sector operator. And in fact, the work that was done by the previous council uh, showed that there is room, if the city were to move forward with this project, there, there is room even for a dome in addition, based on the user demand from the work that the city had done previous to this council. Mm, that's good information. Yeah. Bill, are you ever able to disconnect? Like, do you take a weekend or do you take a day off? Is that possible in your life? Uh, not, not really. I mean, you're, you're never completely disconnected. You, you, you can't be. I mean, you know, people look to, are looking to you for one thing or another pretty regularly. Yes. Um, you know, and it, but it's been as busy as it's been. Michael, I tell you the 15 years previously, provincially, you know, was at another level. And so... I, I find the work is it still can consume a fair bit of your time, but it's certainly not as busy as I was during the 15 years provincially that, you know, that's just a different experience of provincial politics in terms of the time, in terms of the, the files that you're, that you're expected to manage, to learn, to understand, to promote, yeah. to legislate. So yeah, I, uh, but you've always got your phone, you know, and, and most counselors would be the same. It's certainly not just me. You know, most people are connected through their email, through their phones. Um, one of the good things and bad things of the new technology, I guess you could say. But um, mm. yeah, but you still try and find you still try and find time. You have to. You have to do your exercise. You have to get out of the house. You have to. You have to stay active for yeah. sure. You you are in great shape, right? 
that's me. You know, you, well, you, I mean, like, look at you. I mean, like, do you active? This is important for you too, right? Because you, yeah. you serve the community and you want to be a hundred percent, hundred ten percent out there. Well, I, I think for everybody, for, for sure. I mean, I, running was always a big part of my life. It's been, um, you know, I, I do far less of it now. I've got one injury that nothing serious, but it just keeps the cropping up now every time I get 10 or 12 runs in and it's been nagging me for 20 or 25 years. Yeah. And now it, the frequency of it revisiting me is, is <laughs> more frequent than it used to be. So, but anyway, you still do whatever you can, right? Mm. Everybody, you, you just adjust. And uh, certainly right. that physical activity is a big part of it. Um, I enjoy it. I always have. It's been a big part of my life for my entire life. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's a good, me it's the best medicine for all of us. Yeah. Is that how you handle the stress? I, I don't know that I do it for the stress. It's just something I've always done. Mm. And I think it certainly does help though. Okay. Um, you know, but it's always been a part of my life, even, even before I was involved in politics. Okay, good. One of the questions I usually always ask, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But I believe like meditation, setting a mind, um, thinking about things, long-term planning. But meditation, is that something you do or do you set your mind? Do you have like five minutes in the morning where you, you set your day or at nighttime? Is that something you do? You know, it's not. I, um, but I've always I've thought about it a lot. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who, you know, are, are my age or close to my age who've been involved in athletics or exercise their whole lives as well. And many of them uh, have gotten into yoga. Mm. You know, you, you hear more people all the time. One of my staff people is into meditation in a big way. And uh, even though I'm getting a bit long in the tooth, I'm not completely closing the door on uh, maybe one day trying that. That's good. Um, I would say especially the yoga interests me. I, you know, as I get older, certainly you, you become more conscious of your lack of flexibility and diminishing flexibility. Yeah. Um, stretching and, and all of the benefits of that and injury prevention and just relaxation. And I guess you could say yoga. So I, I haven't done it, uh, but I have thought about it a lot. So, Michael, maybe you're going to be the guy that kickstarts me <laughs> to uh, I, I was considering it because I joined a new gym about three years ago and they, right, they okay. offer yoga classes as part of your membership. Yeah. And uh, I was considering it, you know, the hot yoga, it, something about the hot part, just, you know, the heat of it and, and the easy sweat and the looseness of that, that you all experienced as runners or whatever athletics you were involved in. Yes. And, and really appreciate that good sweat. I would have, uh, I was considering it. I never got in the door, but uh, maybe when we're through this pandemic, I'm going to remember that you planted the seed for me and I'm mm. going to, I'm assuming you do some of that yourself. Uh, I deal with stress that way, you know. I've like, yeah. Yeah. like um, with everything the the world throws at you. And when I'm, I go on the bike trainer at night. Uh, I get yeah. a spinner, and then I, for one hour I just disconnect. And well, I you're, I'm envious of that as well. I'm doing some of that. I do. I got to work out. I'm doing here, uh, and I've got a, a bike in the in the corner that I'm doing now, but. I have not the patience for mm. for stationary equipment, and that's why I miss the the running. Even though I'm still doing a bit, but miss it even more. Um, I have lots of friends that'll do an hour, hour and a half on a stationary bike, and yeah. I just don't have the patience for it. But I'm doing some of it, and uh, hopefully a bit more road riding in the summer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have all those amazing bike lanes. I like bike that. lanes are good. Yes. They yeah. Are. Is the is the city getting used to it? Are people getting used to it? Do you think? Um, you know, I sold my car about two years ago, and we did a wow. we did a whole summer just bicycle only, 
And okay. the toughest one was for us was Memorial. Yeah. That's like to connect. Like we, uh, I think if we could connect both sides with one bike lane from one side to another, that would be really good. You mean north and south of the city? Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's just like, yeah, yeah I think yeah. that would be really good. Well, that's interesting. They're still, they're still really controversial. And I, I know when I was in, uh, in Toronto, still as the MPP, they the city was moving forward with them in an aggressive way there. Yeah, uh, right in front of the condo that I had, they put it in, and I remember thinking, "Boy, this is going to be an issue." But you know, people adjust, mm -hmm. and they even put one in. Many of your your listeners will be familiar with Bloor Street in Toronto, a very, very, very busy roadway. Yeah, they put them on Bloor Street, and people thought, "Well, how is this going to work in the traffic jam?" Ultimately, you're trying to change the culture. You're, you're trying to get people to adjust their attitudes that have been long formed and forged and how do you move them away from that and encourage a, a new form of transportation that's healthier. I think part of the resistance in Thunder Bay is that our climate is obviously a bit inhibiting yes. and, and, and people aren't quite sure that the bike lanes are going to get people to give up their cars. Mm -hmm. and, and for sure, I, I think they're right. I think a lot of people simply won't. Uh, but it doesn't mean you still can't try and accommodate those that want to uh, as best you're able. So, yeah. yeah, but the road riding can be fun. Uh, again, it's something I have a lot of patience for. There were a few years I got into it in terms of some long rides. Yeah, did um, you do races? Yeah. I'm sorry? Did you ever do races or triathlon? No. Okay. No, I never did. You know, and I, <laughs> I'll tell you why. I mean, when I was running lots, the running wouldn't have been a problem. The biking wouldn't have been a problem. But I, I'm a, the world's probably worst swimmer <laughs> and so i always wanted to do a triathlon yes but i just can't swim uh, i probably could have survived it and you know managed to work my way through that leg of a triathlon but i would have been so physically spent when i was done mm. that the road and the ride would have been difficult but no i'm i'm i was a bit sorry i never I never did, uh, never did do one. Who knows? Maybe that's another thing. Meditation yeah. and swimming. There you go. We have one. We have one in town, right? We have a triathlon annually, and you can actually qualify for the Ironman with that one. Yeah, yeah. Good friend of mine is the guy that brought that to, to Thunder Bay. It's great and established it in Thunder Bay. I actually volunteered with him one or two years out at Sibley when he put it on. That's awesome. He's given it up. Um, I think somebody else in the community has taken it on and is still bringing it to to Thunder Bay, and I think it's still at Sibley. Uh, I've been out there a few years to watch it and, and, you know, participate a little bit as a volunteer, a, a tremendous, tremendous event, a super, super thing. One of the first meetings I had when I became mayor mm. was why we couldn't have one in the city of Thunder Bay. A lot of people in Thunder Bay are very frustrated, uh, that we were unable to host one and Boulevard Lake seeming to be such a wonderful opportunity, sure. an easy swim, an easy bike ride, an easy run. Yeah. And for a variety of different reasons, it, it wasn't happening. And it was one of the first discussions I had after becoming mayor. What can we do to reestablish a triathlon in, in Thunder Bay? But the Sibley, the Sibley one is an absolutely spectacular venue as well. Yes. So that's yeah. perfect. I didn't know that. Great. Let's talk about the future and then I'll let you go. We we have uh, we have election year coming up next year. What's going on? What is, what are your thoughts? Is there anything you want to share? Well, I'm not sure what you're asking me exactly, but if it's about whether I'm interested in running again, um, you know that's a decision still to come. Okay. Um, I I'm enjoying being the mayor. I was asked, you know, I guess it's a year and a half ago now when the federal election was on. Yes. And and the the MP on this side of the city, on the south side of the city, who I knew had decided he wasn't running again. Uh, a number of people asked me to to run federally as as a liberal. Mm. Um, 
I had just been elected mayor within a matter of months or six months or eight months, whatever the timeline was. I didn't think that that would be well received by the community. Um, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to, to be a federal government rep, actually. I'll, you know, I do believe respecting the work that the federal government does as well. But the provincial place, I mean, is, is really where you have your hands on files that affect people, whether it's education and highways and health care, social services. It's really where the meat and potatoes work can get done. And so the, for, the, for a couple of reasons, I didn't run, I didn't run federally. Um, but in terms of the municipal decision, yeah, a little bit too early for me to make that decision. There's a, a, at least a solid year yet before I'll, I'll turn my mind to that. I like that. You focus on now, you take care of our, our city, the citizens, and then you decide when, when the time is. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Where, yeah. where do you see Thunder Bay in the future? You know, they have those time capsules and they pop open. Where do you see us go? You know, Michael, I think that there's already been some evolution and some change within the city that I'm not sure still enough people are recognizing. We, we have a very solid base. If, if it's economically that we're talking about, first off, at least, you know, we've still got a pretty good base of manufacturing, relatively speaking, I mean, the forest industry is nowhere like it was in 2005, but it's yeah. still a pretty good presence. We had a great presentation from the Community Economic Development Commission the other day. Okay. Mining is still a very big part of the city, and we, we are poised for significant growth. We're still working on Bombardier here. And in fact, I'm just getting a call from a federal member who wants to talk to me about that. Mm. You know, if we can solidify Bombardier... And you add that to forestry, to mining, to man, you know the Bombardier manufacturing. You've got some significant, solid economic fundamentals in place. The evolution that I was speaking about, though, is terms of the knowledge-based economy and and where we are and where we're going. That those were files that I was very involved in when I was the provincial member, yes. and and it's very exciting to me to see the growth in sort of what I what I call what others would call the knowledge-based economy. When, when you see what's happened in Thunder Bay in terms of the growth of that sector, Lakehead University, Confederation College, Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Center, a regional research institute, a law school, a medical school, more research being conducted at those institutions, more doctors, more nurses, cardiac surgery, angioplasty surgery, all of them that bring jobs, that bring better health care, the angioplasty being the one and only promise I've ever made in, in my 23 years, the commitment that the government that I was part of that made to cardiac surgery in Thunder Bay. The combination of angioplasty and cardiac surgery will be 120 high-paying, knowledge-based jobs. This is part of the evolution that I'm talking about. And the other part of it, Michael, is that these jobs, generally speaking, are recession-proof. When you think of yes. all of that and what it means, they're big jobs, they're solid jobs, they're safe jobs, and, and for a variety of reasons, they provide a solid footing for your economy and your GDP going forward, where you don't have to be worried as much about those jobs necessarily disappearing. So economically, I want and hope to still see growth in, in that sector, those knowledge-based jobs, that's what you hope. I think as well, we're seeing, you know, changing diversity in the, in the community, very significant. Those that are my age, we grew up believing that we always existed all and lived already uh, in a multicultural community. Mm -hmm. And we very much were. And some of us kind of uh, get a little bit surprised when we see people describe us as maybe something that is not that. 
yeah. or a community that is intolerant. And it's not the community that I grew up in. And, and I must say, it's a little bit discouraging to hear the language and the, and the rhetoric that's used on a regular basis. Mm. That diversity, though, now is expanding and, ch- and changing. We're, we're seeing multiracial populations in Thunder Bay that weren't here before. We're seeing a, a growing Indigenous population in numbers that were not here before. Yes. All of these provide great opportunity for the city of Thunder Bay. We, we need population. We need business. We have jobs that are going wanting. We need people to fill these jobs. Mm-hmm. And so that multi-ethnic city of Port Arthur and Fort William that I grew up in as a, as a kid is growing even more and diversifying even more. And that's an opportunity for us. So where do I see the future? I guess those two things are important to me. I think they provide great opportunity for us. And um, hopefully when we look back on this in five and 10 years, we're going to start to see some of that positive change occurring. We're in a good place where, you know, we're still, we're still one of the best kept secrets. The, the challenges and the, the problems that this city has are real. Yes. I'm not trying to diminish those or sound insensitive to those. We have those issues, but Michael, so do almost all other municipalities in the country. We're not unique or distinct when it comes to guns and gangs, when it comes to racism, we have those issues. They're real. Yes. And we need to do what we can to address them. But everybody else has those as well. Mm -hmm. We're still one of the best kept secrets in the country. We're still a great place to live and and raise a family and make a living. And, uh, I, you know, I just promote us every chance that I can get. I like it. And you're right. There is issues we are, we are, we're putting on the table and we are talking about and we are learning and, you know, we did the first steps and we are, we are going further and we want to do our best. And I also want to say Thunder Bay's been putting been put on the world spot many times during the last months too. You know, do you like hot yeah. sauce at all? So for example, the hard, <laughs> like hard. I got about four bottles. Of, I got about four, I got about four bottles in the fridge. Yes, yes, <laughs> and do I. And so, you know, you're speaking about the speaking about the diversity problem. You know, there was or issue. Great letter in in the newspaper just yesterday. Uh, by by a lady that spoke glowingly uh, about her arrival in the city some 20 plus years ago and the the fantastic experience that she has had okay as a black woman in the city of Thunder Bay and how warm and receptive the community has been and when I saw the article I was so you know heartened to hear that positive spin appearing in the newspaper that doesn't seem to have, in my mind, enough of those stories that are that are in there. And I actually reached out to her, a, a woman that I that I don't know, and I phoned her yesterday to, to say thank you uh, for sharing your story. It, it's more like the city that, that I've grown up in, that I love. Yeah. And, and I said thank you to her, you know, for putting her life experience uh, on public display in that regard. Mm, I like that, you know. Like, from my perspective, you are, you are in, the pol- in the politics, and when... You take that time. You you reach out. You you know that's that's perfect. And we all know that how busy you are. And then you make that time and you call somebody. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. I, I just just to say thank you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Bill. We are we are just under the hour. I know you you're gonna go to your next project. Everything lined up. I please uh, thank you thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you for taking care of us throughout these special times with everything you do with your members of your team and the city. Thank you. 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Michael. Thanks. And, and we'll, maybe we'll get to do this again in, in, in a year or so. I would love to. Always. All right. Thanks for having me, Michael. Okay. Thank you so much, Bill. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.